this was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. But the giant moves, he's got a spear in one hand and he's running really fast and spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody yells, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blowed his head off. I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over and there are two small gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reached my hand into this bush and I touch air. Couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster. Welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to The Confessionals. I am your host, Tony Merkel. Thank you for being here. If you've had an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionals at protonmail.com. That's theconfessionals at protonmail.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the contact section and you can reach us that way as well. Either way works for me. Just get a hold of me. And if you want more of The Confessionals every week, on Thursdays, we release a bonus episode every Thursday on the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. So if you're interested in that, go ahead and join and become a member to the website at theconfessionalspodcast.com. So thank you very much for checking that out. And I want to let you guys know that since it's the holiday season, we have some discounts going on the website. If you use the promo code HOLIDAY10 on the store purchases, you can get 10% off any purchase. So if you're interested in having a gift for yourself or a loved one that has to do with, I don't know, a confessional t-shirt, a hoodie or something cool like that, go ahead and check out the store on theconfessionalspodcast.com. Let's go. So this week we have Charlie Robinson coming on the show. I am super pumped about having Charlie on the show because I reached out to him to talk about Jeffrey Epstein and the whole thing. And he said, absolutely, he would come on. And when we got to talking, we talked about a lot of stuff, not just the Jeffrey Epstein stuff. So today is a smorgasbord of stuff that's actually circling and surrounding the topic of Jeffrey Epstein. But what you will find is that when you want to dive into the topic of Jeffrey Epstein, you will see that there are so many other tentacles. And you'll understand why I use that word tentacles as we enter the interview. But there are so many different tentacles that are reaching out into different directions that you could go down and spend 24 hours talking about just that one topic. And so for the next two hours, you're going to hear me and Charlie talk about Jeffrey Epstein and a lot of the things that surround Jeffrey Epstein. So without any further delay, let's bring on Charlie right after this week's member episode trailer. Let's go.
I, uh, I'm not much of a, a jogger, but I don't mind doing a nice little uh, walk every now and then. And uh, where I grew up in, in Woodville, Texas, and, uh, and they've actually had quite a few sightings out there aside from mine because there's an Indian reservation out there. But I was just walking through the, the woods. There's a nice little game trail. It was probably a mile or two, so I'd walk up and down it. And um, I'm walking through the woods, and I just, I guess, I don't know what it was, but I had like this just almost sick feeling in my stomach kind of come over me. Like I just, it just all of a sudden, I just felt sick and nauseous and kind of nervous, which, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty big kid. I grew up in the woods. I actually had a hunting knife with me, so I thought, you know, worst case scenario, a hog would charge me and I'd get away from it. You know, growing up in the woods, I know what to listen for, what to hear for. But I just got this weird sense of almost kind of like panic hit my body randomly. And uh, at the same time that started happening, I started hearing weird little like noises, like tree branches breaking and knocks. And then after a while, I started, like, getting real curious, like, what in the world is going on? And then out of nowhere, a small little rock, kind of like one you decorate, I guess, like your, uh, your patio with, a little small-looking, uh, polished rock-looking thing, hit, hit me smooth in the back. So it knocked me forward. And at that point, I'm, like, fighting mad, panicking, hearing weird crap all around me. So I turn around, and there he is. As big as ever probably every bit of seven foot tall gray like i guess the best way i can describe his hair color would be grayish brown because it was brown but it looked like he was uh kind of like you know middle-aged i guess for lack of a better term trying to like think about this moment but uh he was looking at me out out the side of his eyes if, if that makes sense you know how like someone aggravates you and you kind of like just kind of talk your eyes at him just kind of stare at him a little bit yeah that's how this thing was staring at me. And the only way I could describe the feeling I got from how he was staring at me was I could kill you if I really wanted to. Like, he was putting me on notice with just a glance of his eyes. That's how intimidating and awful these eyes were. I wasn't about to reach for my knife because this thing could have mauled me in a split second as big as he was. And he just kind of, after he was, got done shooting his eyes at me, he just kind of turned and lumbered off. And I stood there for what seemed like 10 years, just bone still, crying, sweating. And after, I guess, what seemed like forever, I just had to get away from that area. All right, today we got a great guest coming on. I actually have been planning on interviewing this guy for a little while now. Charlie Robinson, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good, man. So uh, I found you through a YouTube video with Sean Atwood. So shout out to Sean Atwood. Uh, For sure. Big shout out to Sean Atwood. We love him. I got into Sean Atwood. I got into Sean Atwood back when he was on Locked Up Abroad on National Geographic Channel. 
Yeah, they did a whole episode on him called Raving Arizona because he did seven years in prison for being an ecstasy trafficking kingpin <laughs> after being a stockbroker. He's got yeah. a fascinating story. And then I sent him my book and we emailed a little bit. And um, and then out of the blue one day, he says, do you want to talk Epstein? And I was like, absolutely. Because he, I did a, a show with Kev Baker on hit on on uh, YouTube slash uh, TFR Radio or TFR Live, and we talked about Epstein. We talked about the creepy AI robots that uh, Epstein had funded and things like that. And Sean heard that, and he's like, "Dude, you got to come on the show." And I was like, "It's my pleasure, of course." So yeah, we love Sean. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and I found his story somewhere online uh, within the last year, to be honest. And I was just like, "Wow!" And uh, it was the it it was just such a jaw-dropping story to hear somebody, depending on how you look at it, but we'll just say fall from grace, where he's, you know, Mm -hmm. stockbroker making great money. And then he just kind of stumbled into dealing and he realized he can make more money doing that. And he took that on full time and he did it well. He did did it really well. He he put, he, he implemented the same sort of, um, thought process that he would go put into analyzing stocks and deciding where to allocate cash and things like that. He would, he would do that with regard to the ecstasy business. I'm going to find supply chains. He looked at it. He just treated it like he was selling widgets. Um, you know, I've got to deal with this group. I have to, you know, instead of dealing with this group of psychopaths being Goldman Sachs, he was dealing with a different type of psychopaths being the Mexican mafia and, you know, people like that. But he, he made it, uh, he made it work and he was actually out of of the drug trafficking business when he got arrested they they he had he had walked away and they just they went in and pulled him back in because the statute of limitations hadn't expired so um he <laughs> yeah he got he got himself caught up in in, in that whole thing yeah. and, and he would freely admit that he you know what he was doing was illegal and you know he sort of had nobody to blame but himself and he speaks at schools and and you know does the whole you know, stay off of drugs, don't do what I did type of thing. So, you know, the guy's turned his, turned his life around and he's a, obviously a a smart guy, kept himself alive in prison by, um, taking fellow inmates, uh, papers, court papers, reading through it, trying to find holes in it, flaw, you know, things that they could exploit, you know, for appeals and, you know, becoming sort of like the jailhouse lawyer, uh, which is which is you know lucky for him he's he's a super smart guy or else you know being an English guy in an Arizona maximum security federal prison would be uh, a, a hard way to live out seven years. Yeah, it wouldn't bode well at all. And you know that's one thing that to the audience, if you don't know who Sean Atwood is, uh, check him out. And he actually you know like Charlie said, he really turned his life around and he now speaks at schools. And it's not like you have to guess, uh, well, I don't know if I want him talking to my student. Trust me, this is a guy that your students would love. And he has a great life lesson to teach all young people to really just kind of motivate them to really push for uh, significance in their own life heading into their adulthood. So I highly recommend Sean Atwood. And that's not even something that we planned on talking about. So I know. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I'll tell you what, let's get this thing started with just you talking to us a little bit about your book. Now, uh, you mentioned your first book to me earlier. So I'm assuming you might have a second one or something. But the one I'm aware of is The Octopus of Global Control. And sir... It's, you know, a great book. And I think that uh, a lot of people will be very, uh, benef- find it very beneficial to put this on their Christmas list. I have put it on my Christmas list. I'm thinking I'm just going to be getting it on Kindle anyway. So I get it now. 
Yeah, it's well, what's interesting about it is that the book, the origins of the book came out of me uh, bringing up 9-11 at Thanksgiving dinner, (laughs) Thanksgiving table. Way to ruin Thanksgiving dinner. Right. And and what I realized with this, this was many years ago. So I don't know, 2006 or something like this. But but I realized I didn't have my argument very well. I didn't have it together. I didn't think I was going to be bringing it up. You know, the table kind of turned on me. And what I felt like saying to everybody was, well, don't take my word for it. If you heard If you heard about it, if you heard that the BBC announced that Tower 7 fell 30 minutes before it happened, you know, would that change your mind? If you heard um, that, you know, if you heard Richard Gage from Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth talk about how it's an impossibility, uh, you'd have to defy the laws of physics for Building 7 to fall, you know, would that change your mind? Would it it matter that he's got 3,000 other architects and engineers? And so I realized that, you know, Everyone at that table, they, they, they looked at me as having no credibility or no authority to, to explain this situation. But they, they do view other people as having the authority. And they didn't – I felt like if I could write a book and I could bring in the words of other people, not mine. Mine's, my words, my thoughts, are they're all in there obviously. Um, but if I could get the, the – if, if people could hear it from somebody else's mouth – if they could hear about, um, you know, and you say that the media is is part of this deep state or that the media is working with these globalist scumbags to put together a, a one world government, you know, the casual person will go, get out of here, man, you're out of your mind. And you say, well, but hang on a second. What if you heard David Rockefeller? give a speech in 1991 at Bilderberg in which he thanked the media for doing their part in keeping their mouth shut because without their silence, they would not, the rest of the globalist people at that conference would not be able to move forward with the new world order, uh, without their help. I mean, would that change your mind? And, you know, and the answer is, well, yeah, I mean, I guess if I heard that, well, well, good. So, you know, what about if David Rockefeller writes in his autobiography that if 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 there's people that accuse him, uh, he, him and his family of being global internationalists, that they are looking for a one world government trying to suppress everybody. And then he says, if those are the charges, then I stand guilty as charged. Like, oh, my God. So so what I did was I, I brought together quotes from over 500 different people that had a hand in this, that, that in some of these important events in world history and United States history too. So you've got the Rockefellers and Rothschilds and Clintons and Bushes and all these maniacs that are in positions of power. You, I bring in their words. I, you know, talk about the new world order and people kind of roll their eyes and go, give me a break. All right. Well, George H.W. Bush mentioned it over 200 times during his presidency. Here's seven instances of it. You know, here's here are the president. You know, here's Tony Blair talking about the New World Order. Here's everybody. Here's Al Gore talking about it. Here's the president. You know, here's Angela Merkel talking about the New World. They're all using the same terms. Here's the Pope talking talking about the New World Order. Now, do you believe that it's actually a thing? Like, I'm not just wearing my tinfoil hat. So, I, you know, I brought in all these different voices, and then on top of that. You know, I think that the best way to deliver this news is with a little bit of humor. 
And everybody loves George Carlin. And the more I watch George Carlin, the more I feel like he should have been writing the history books because his version of history sounds a whole lot more accurate than everybody else's version of history. So I brought Carlin's voice in and Bill Hicks and Joe Rogan and these guys, guys that see the world in a from a comedian's point of view, which is they can sort of they can they're a little bit more objective and they can they can point out the insanity that everyone else tends to miss. So, so that was the, that's the structure of the book. It's, it's me writing about eight different tentacles of control, uh, and then having, and then punctuating it with, um, not footnotes, but sort of verbal quote footnotes, you know, sort of, um, like the, you know, there's, there's one of the greatest, one of my favorite quotes from it is, is from a guy named John Francis Highland. And he is the mayor of New York City. And he's the one that he mentions this sprawling octopus that has its tentacles in every aspect of their society from the banking and media to this, you know, to everything. And he says, let me be, you know, to be more specific, I'm talking about the Rockefeller standard oil interests. And he's he's going on and on about this. And, And when you get to the very end of the quote, which is a couple paragraphs long, you realize it was written in 1922 and you're like, we're, we're coming up on a century since this guy had this quote and nothing has changed. You know, it's still in place. This octopus, it's not, and the octopus, by the way, is not my, I didn't invent that. That's been, that's been around. He mentioned it. Danny Castellaro wrote a book called the octopus, which got him killed. Uh, there's a plenty of people that have talked about this octopus. So in no way am I trying to claim ownership of it, but it's a great symbolic, um, creature because it's obviously it's got the eight tentacles. It's intelligence, very intelligent. Um, it's got a hidden beak that you don't see coming until you get close to it and then it'll rip you to shreds. It can spray ink to, you know, to get, make its getaway or it can stay and fight. It can change colors. It can change textures. It can be whatever it needs to be at that current situation. I'm thinking this is a perfect metaphor for the deep state because this is who they are. They, they, they can be what they need to be when they need to be it. If they want to be vicious, they'll stay and fight. If they want to get away, if they want to pin it on someone else, they'll disguise themselves, you know? So this is, this is sort of the, the thinking of, of how I came up with the octopus. And so it's, it's talking about these eight different aspects of control, uh, then my opinions on it and then punctuated with quotes from 500 people. Yeah. And I think that's the, one of the best ways you can go about, you know, writing a book like this, because it's not just you saying stuff because then you're just thrown into the list of, Oh, you're just a crazy person that has conspiracy theories trying to capitalize on it. But you actually went out and got, you know, evidence and quotes. And, and one of the, the, the things that people have to understand when it comes to this stuff is that these people are extremely patient. They don't do things just for their life. They do it for the next generation, the generations to come that they won't even be around for, but they are putting this stuff into work for them, that the future generation. So if they die off, that's fine because they're doing work for, uh, on, in their mind on a bigger scale for a bigger reason than just their own personal gain in life. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, they're psychopathic. But you have to respect their ability to play a longer game than the rest of us. You know, we get we look at things in terms of our our lifespan. Maybe when our kids are born, then we then maybe that clock resets and you go, okay, well, I have to give a shit about this world for a little bit longer now because I have kids involved in this. So um, but in their particular world, 
it's multi-generational. You know, these things can go on for hundreds of years and, and, and you know, their patience that they show for things like this. And, and, and David Icke talks about this a lot. He, talk, he talks about the totalitarian tiptoe, right? If you try to get, if you try to get from A to Z all at once, making sweeping moves that are rather blatant and obvious, the public will rise up against that. But if it's, if you don't go, if you just go A to B, then B to C and then C to D, and you just make this incremental over time, then it's a, it's a more stable way of making these changes and making them, making sure that they stick. So that, that, that comes with experience and that comes with, um, with a desire to make this, you know, to, for their way of thinking is to do this right, even if it takes longer. Uh, so you have to sort of, I don't know. I mean, I guess you have to sort of show them a little bit of respect for their commitment towards that. It's psychopathic of course, and, and devious, but, um, but uh, give them credit for for thinking uh, about the long game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, there's a there's definitely a method to the madness. Uh, we we had David Icke on the show for episode 131. For anybody who's interested in hearing about that, um, but so your website is theoctopusofglobalcontrol.com. People can get a lot of information there. I'll add the website and the links on Amazon to your book so people can just go right to the description on this show and they can go ahead and purchase the book. Do you have a preferred method of people purchasing? Some people prefer, you know, through a website over Amazon or anything like that? Yeah. If, well, if someone, if you want the paperback, it's available at Amazon and it's available at Barnes and Noble. If you want the um, just an ebook version or a PDF version, just come to my website. Uh, I have PayPal and I have crypto set up. Anything over ten bucks, and I'll I'll email you um, an EPUB uh, version and a uh, PDF version that 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 gets you around. That gets you around Jeff Bezos taking Absolutely. pictures of. Pictures of his junk and emailing them to people. <laughs> if you don't want to support that weirdo, <laughs> you can you can come you can come uh, directly to me. But in one of the things about the book that that's you know like if you're if you're listening to this show, you're already awake in some form, right? You're sort of on that path. This is not – I would imagine this is not the sh- type of show that you just kind of casually bump into. Right. You kind of ha- kind of have an interest in these sorts of things. Now, if and if you feel like you, you've gone – you know this stuff, um, what is nice – kind of nice about the book that I've found this is this I didn't expect this but it turned out that this is this has been sort of a side benefit to the book is that a lot of people have been buying it and giving it to people in their life that they've gone down that path with you know that have kind of tuned them out and they're sort of like you're nuts you know you know enough with you and your conspiracies they've said they've 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 backed away from trying to push it and they've just sent my book and someone will go through if you go through the table of contents there's so many different topics in there you're bound to just find and I made all the chapter names funny, you know, so that they're, you know, <laughs> stuff like they don't call her Killary for nothing. And, you know, <laughs> the revolution will be televised, but everyone will just DVR it, you know, so, so I made it so that it, they're, it's sort of fun. Uh, it's fun as, you know, horrible conspiracies can be, but, um, because I found that, you know, obviously with a little bit of humor, it makes these topics get easier to digest. And, and one of the things that I've noticed over time is that, and and it's, it certainly was the case with me was that you never know what 
topic, what um, event is going to be the one that triggers someone to kind of wake up out of this slumber? For me, it was 9-11 in general, but Building 7 in particular, right? You see that visual image of that building coming down and you go, okay, there's something wrong here. And if there's something wrong with this story, or, you know, if we're being lied to about this event, are we being lied to about other events? And it sort of leads you down this path. And I've had some people that said like, you know, they don't really, they don't really know where to start. They don't really have an interest in this, but their brother-in-law died in Vietnam. And so they read the story about Vietnam and they read the story about the Gulf of Tonkin incident being a non-incident, you know, that it didn't actually happen. What the trigger that sent us into Vietnam fully about this ship being attacked by Vietnamese, North Vietnamese PT boats. And it didn't happen. Like not, it didn't happen exactly the way the news report. It literally did not happen. There was no, there were no boats attacking them. And so you go, Oh my God, you know, that's a lie. And 50,000 Americans died. Uh, who knows how many Vietnamese, Cambodian, Laotians died. And that let's just say over a million all started on a lie. You know, and so if that's personal to you because you had a family member that went to Vietnam and died over a lie, then that might be to you what Building 7 was to me, which kind of gets you rolling. You go, okay, well, if this Gulf of Tonkin was a lie, what about Pearl Harbor? <laughs> what about right. not, you know, what about babies in the incubators? What about uh, weapons of mass destruction in Iraq? What about what about you know Assad is gassing his own people? Like what about all these things? Well, spoiler alert, they're all lies. I mean, this is what the media does. And so what I did was I went through and said, you know, let's give some context to some of these lies. You, you, you were all you didn't want to go into Iraq in two thousand three because the weapons of mass destruction sounded a little fishy to you. But did you know that the babies in the incubator story was totally made up too? Did you know that that was that Naraya was the ambassador's daughter, the Kuwaiti ambassador's daughter, and that she was coached by Hill and Knowlton in that whole presentation about how they took the babies out of the incubators and left them to die on the cold floor was one hundred percent fabricated. Not my opinion. It's declassified now. They admit it. They're not even trying to hide it. So once again, how many people died over these lies? And so part of what I, I feel like is important not just this book, but just in general that we all know is like we start to get, it's important for us to get better at recognizing the signs of a media slash military industrial complex coordinated lie. And we're get, I feel like we're getting there. I feel like the alternative media is doing a pretty good job of prepping people, sort of helping people understand that when you see things like Bashar al-Assad has gassed his own people, and and here's the picture of it and here's the video of it uh, and you go mm, i'm sorry i just can't you don't get the benefit of the doubt anymore media you we're, we're not listening to you we're not believing you you know it used to be like when we were kids like maybe you 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 may at least in my case my default uh, setting was if it's on the news, I'll believe it might not be right, but at least I'll, I'll start with from a position yeah. of, I believe it now that's, I mean, anybody that, that looks at their corporate mainstream news like that is out of their minds. I mean, there, I mean, how many times do you have to be lied to before you realize, Hey, these people are not on our side. They're, they're lying to us about all these things. So, so whether it's the Gulf of Tonkin or, or babies and in incubators or, or whatever these, these lies are. It's getting to the point now where people are 
immediately picking them apart. The soon as somebody comes out and says there was a mass shooting somewhere, okay, let's see the evidence because you, you don't get to just tell us this is how it went down and we all go, oh, okay, that's how it went down. No more. I mean, a lot of people do, but, but for people that are paying attention, you know, the media has worn out that they've, they've lost that right. They've lost the right to be, uh, trusted. In fact, I, I don't even, if CNN tells me what the weather is going to be like tomorrow, I don't even <laughs> believe, it. you know, they're so, they're so discredited and it's not that. And I'm not saying that because Donald Trump told me to say that, you know what I mean? I'm not saying he, – he didn't give me the idea that the that the mainstream media is the enemy of humanity. I've, you know, we figured it out. <laughs> we figured it out because we've been lied to. So, like how if – the, if, if the mainstream media was like your girlfriend – You'd never tolerate the sort of stuff it does to you. You know, you'd never tolerate the sort of lies that she would be telling you. You know, you just feel like this is craziness. This this can't be. But so part of, you know, part of what I wanted to get across to everyone in this book was you could start on page one and read all the way through. And it's 540 pages. There's a lot of pages, but you don't need to. You can go through the table of context, pick out any um chapter on any sort of topic and start there. Just start. If something that that's interests you and one topic interests you and the other one doesn't, don't read the one that doesn't interest you. It doesn't matter. You you'll get enough information out of just, just following the ones that you, that you're sort of into. And from there, oh, maybe dip your toe in something that you've never heard of before and see, see what, what's, uh, see what's in there because you know, it, it's, a. Um, it's a painful process when you start to realize that you've been lied to about so much your whole life. It's, it's very disorienting. You don't really know like who to trust or, you know, you know, it's, it's kind of tempting to want to like go back to sleep. You know, you, you understand in the matrix why, why someone would say, you know, I just want to have a steak, you know, I just want to, I want to have a glass of wine and steak and just go back to, to the way it used to be. It's a lot easier that way. It's, it's emotionally taxing for all of us that are are waking up to the lies that we've been fed. I mean, you, you can't unknow it. Once you know it, you can't unknow it. And it's a, it's a burden. It's a bit of a responsibility for us, but I feel like we sort of owe it to ourselves to be, you know, to, to wake up to this, to, to teach our friends and family and kids and, you know, that, that listen, there's a, there's a lot of people out there working against your best interest, especially on TV and, uh, you have to, and on the internet and you have to be aware of this and, and be a little bit more discerning about the, the information that you ingest from all these trusted news sources, because a lot of the times they're not trustworthy at all. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, it, it sounds like the book would be a good book for people to have as like a reference to certain t- topics since you cover so much stuff. I found that, uh, there's another book that I have called the Genesis six conspiracy with Gary Wayne, very similar thing. I got that book and I'm like, it's an 800 page book. And I'm like, I am not going to read this whole thing, but I find that I use it a lot during my, you know, researching. No, I shouldn't say researching. I'm not a researcher. I, when I sit down to try to learn something about a specific topic, when it comes to like giants and Nephilim out of the Bible, uh, I use his book as a reference guide because it has so much information in it to, you know, go to. So that's really cool. And I think that, um, you talk about the the awakening uh, of you know what everybody wakes up to there's different topics like the uh the the Vietnam war and how that all started i mean that was that was you know essentially operation northwoods and operation northwoods has never uh, it it started back in what it was 50s or 60s 
and mm. it's been carried through to this day. It never went away. It's still oh. here, and they're using it on so many different things. 9-11 was Operation Northwoods. Vietnam, yes. Operation Northwoods. Uh, and, and so uh, it, it's very interesting. A lot of people you know, wake up to certain different topics, and that gets them into this stuff. And I think that's a great way to segue into you know the topic at hand today, which is Epstein, because uh, right now in our country, and probably globally, but I, I only speak to what I know, which is this country, uh, there are a lot of people waking up to the idea that Epstein didn't kill himself. And here's a cool, here, not, I shouldn't say cool thing. Here's the thing about it, though. It's become a meme. Like I, I created an ugly Christmas sweater that said Epstein didn't kill himself. And I started thinking about it. I was like, you know, this is a great way for them to sweep it under the carpet too, you know, have, make it a mm-hmm. meme, make it something that's not that serious anymore. People just kind of forget about it. But there are a lot of people in this country that are waking up to the fact that there is a shadow government that pulls the strings and Epstein... It, that happened right in front of their face, and and people are starting to become quote unquote conspiracy theorists. So, <laughs> yeah. And Caitlin Johnstone, uh, the writer, she said about the Ep, you know about the Epstein suicide. I put that in quotes. Um, that after after this, now everybody's a conspiracy theorist. You know, is what she was saying. You know, you're right. you're allowed to be. You know, it, it, they made it so that. You've got seven. I don't know what the last stat I saw was. Seventy percent of people do not think that he killed himself. Well, of course not. Um, you know what's funny is that my when it first happened, my initial reaction to it was that um, he did well. Obviously, that he didn't kill himself, but that he was swapped out. That was my that was my uh, my my thought. Um, now I understand that would be hard for for. It's hard to do, but if anyone had the ability, the financial resources, the connections to make it happen and, and, and people on the other side, you know, having a vested interest in him getting out of there, it would have been Epstein. But what's, what, what changed my mind about that actually was Sean Atwood, um, talking to him about it and, uh, saying, you know, he was saying, you know, if the way these organizations say mafia type organizations run is that if they were to remove this guy and set him up, you know, give him plastic surgery, put him on, uh, you know, take him to Tel Aviv or whatever the speculation is of where he went, um, they would be sending the message to the rest of the people that, oh, you know, it's okay. You talk, you get arrested, you know, you get pinched and you start talking. That's fine. We'll come get you and take you out. He's like, that's not how it works. They would be sending the message that if you get put in in custody and you start talking, you're dead. So I was like, hmm, yeah, I guess I'm going to have to. I so I'm 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 leaning more uh, to Sean's way of thinking, which is that Epstein was murdered as opposed to being smuggled out. Although I do keep open that possibility, only because he had the ability. He's one of the few people that would actually have the ability to make that happen if. In fact, that is what happened. But I don't think anybody, you know, like I said on Sean's show, um, you don't you don't kill yourself in prison, in jail before you've you've had your trial and you've been sentenced. Let's say you go through, you know, the trial, you're found guilty, you're sentenced to 60 years in prison and you're 60 years old and you know you're going to die there and it's a federal case and you're going to have to do 85% of that. So you realize you're never getting out. 
that's when you might kill yourself, but you wouldn't be doing it in the, in the lead up to the trial. Not, not, especially if you're Epstein with all the money, all the lawyers and a track record of getting out of, 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 you know, getting around being thrown in prison for the rest of your life once already. Um, that's, that doesn't make any sense to, to take yourself out that early on in the process. He may want, you know, he may have wanted to, to kill himself, but that would only happen after all of his available options would have been extinguished. All right, let's take a break right now and talk about Ember Wave. I've talked about it before and I'm going to talk about it again because I absolutely love this bracelet. Ember Wave is the first bracelet that helps you feel colder or warmer at the press of a button. Ember Labs' mission is to bring thermal wellness to the world. They're passionate about using temperature to help every person feel better physically and emotionally. Emberwave was actually created by MIT scientists. So you know that the technology is going to be there. It works great, but how does it work? When you're uncomfortable, activate Emberwave to instantly cool or warm yourself. Science shows that warming or cooling sensitive areas of your body, like your wrist, improve your overall comfort. Just like running your wrists under cold water provides a refreshing chill and cupping your hands around a hot drink gives you a comfort feeling of warmth, Ember Wave cools or warms your wrists with precisely engineered thermal waves. This generates the perfect sensation that works naturally with your body and mind to help you feel 5 degrees more comfortable in minutes. And right now, listeners get $50 off for the holidays if they go to emberwave.com slash Tony. That's E-M-B-R-W-A-V-E dot com slash Tony. Emberwave.com slash Tony for $50 off for the holidays. So if you're thinking about it, if you want to try this, now's the time to do it because you're getting $50 off because it's the holidays. Emberwave.com slash Tony. I look at it, and I know you—you've heard my opinion on it. You know, just this past week, I was on uh, Tim Foyle Hat podcast, and yep. I, I shared my opinion on that. And I look at it as like if, because I, I lean towards the idea that Epstein is still breathing. Um, I certainly don't believe that he killed himself. Uh, I, I certainly can go both ways on whether somebody, somebody killed him or he's still alive. Uh, to me, it doesn't matter. He's still, you know, a piece of trash either way. Uh, but. Uh, I think about the idea that I don't think that it would be necessarily in my mind him pulling strings to get out of a situation, but rather those that he has dirt on pulling the strings to get him out of a situation. Uh, and, right. and and I I just think about the idea that you know if I was if I was somebody that had tons of money and did it because I was doing some super shady illegal stuff that I was involving a lot of other people in, and if 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 we if somebody you know goes down a lot of us could get hurt i would have a lot of safeguards up and one of the things that i would do is i would have access to somebody who can set up a legit kill switch where you know if i get taken down if i'm going to get put into court or I, or i die like by somebody kills me this information is to be released and everybody the whole world will see who's involved and that's the yeah. that's the idea that i i kind of look at i'm just like well, I know he couldn't be too stupid, like with uh, no. the stuff that he was doing. And I'm just like, 
I, Tony Merkel, would have a kill switch. Like, <laughs> yes, of course. And 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 you're right in that sense. If if let's just play this out. If he was if he was removed and swapped out, it wouldn't be because he necessarily said, I want to get out. It would be, like you said, because the people who he has the dirt on, it would be in their best interest to get him out. Of course, it'd be in his best interest to get out as well, but they would be the ones that would put things in in motion because, like you said, he'd have a kill. He'd have a dead man's trigger that if if I and listen, if I go down, you know, guys, you're gonna have to pull out all the stops to get me out of there. And uh, and that's another thing. So if that is the case, let's just say that. Let's just say that they. Let's just say that the people above him, be it, uh, you know, is, you know, Mossad, CIA, Clinton's, you know, Trump, whoever, you name it, whoever's in a you know, bar, all these guys in a position of power that had the authority to do that, you know, they they would um, they, they would get him out and then they theoretically could start the meme of Epstein didn't kill himself just to reinforce the fact that he was okay fine he didn't kill himself but he definitely was murdered I could under, I could see them doing that I could see them doing going you know playing 3D chess <laughs> chess in, yeah. in that sense and in saying well like if we're going to swap him out then we need to really make it look like the argument is between did he kill himself and was he murdered, but never the third option, which is was he smuggled out? He could be. I'm not saying that he. I'm not saying that he he wasn't smuggled out. I think that that ha- still has to be on the table, simply because of who he was, who he was dealing with, who you know, uh, the you know those fishy pictures of him, you know, on the gurney and and everything. Uh, the the whole thing is the whole the whole thing was totally. <laughs> totally sketchy but but in in a sense how how weird would it be how weird would it be that if that millions and millions of people around the world woke up to the fact that the media is a fill, you know pa- filled with pathological liars that the justice department is totally crooked and 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 you know compromised that epstein of all people woke up millions of other human beings to the fact that things are are a scam like how that would be just the ultimate and backfiring for for these intelligence agencies that they've got some guy and in the end he winds up blowing the whistle on not just what he was doing the fact that the cia is involved the fact that Mossad is operating inside the united states in a big way the fact that the clintons are uh notorious scumbag pedophiles that you know that all of these people that it just would be it just would be fascinating that epstein was the one that woke up more people than 9-11 <laughs> yeah know? yeah absolutely uh you know i think we can all agree that you know the one thing is for sure uh he he didn't kill himself and uh the idea that he was suicidal, I think, is just ridiculous. He wasn't suicidal the first time he was arrested for this, which is all new for him. He didn't know what the outcome would be. He was the first time being arrested for being a, a sex offender. He wasn't suicidal then, but he suicidal mm. the second time around. Right? Okay, I got right. you. Well, but but the second yeah, and the second time around, what is he? Is he in his cell thinking? Oh, I hope that uh, Attorney General Barr doesn't come and throw the book at me. You know. Attorney General Barr, <laughs> yeah. whose dad hired me at the Dalton School, you know that guy. Yeah. So I mean, it, he would have no reason to feel like he was going to get the book thrown at him. There are too many people in positions of power that 
he had dirt on that would be working on his behalf, like Barr, like Clinton's, like Trump even. Although I don't think Trump is – I don't – necessarily think of Trump as being as devious and as dirty with Epstein as Clinton, but I might be wrong about that. I mean, he could, he could very well, I don't, I think Trump is definitely, uh, you know, unwell, but I I don't know if he's as unwell as the Clintons are. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, one, one quote that does come back into my mind when you brought that up is the idea that, uh, Trump did at one point say that, you know, he, he, I think he said, Either he was saying because he said two different things at one time. He, one time he said he was uh, Epstein was a great guy. The other time he said I don't like the guy. But he did say uh, on one of those statements that uh, he likes young girls a little too young for his taste. And I was just like, "Did you know something?" Oh yeah, <laughs> you, you know, of course you knew something. <laughs> like, yeah, and Epstein screwed uh, or. Um, uh, Epstein and Trump got into you know a bit of a had a falling out over a piece of property in Palm Beach that Trump was gonna um, Trump was gonna buy it. Epstein was Epstein wanted to uh, I forget if it was Trump was gonna buy it or Epstein was gonna buy it. Someone was gonna buy this property and flip it. No, it was um, Epstein was gonna buy this property and flip it, and Trump stepped in and uh, snatched it out from under him through a loan a loan uh, with Deutsche Bank, and so they had a falling out over that. But um, but you know these guys are all these guys are all running in the same circle. You know you've got uh, you've got Dershowitz now stepping up and you know injecting himself into this Trump situation where he's like, well, I'll, maybe I'll represent you for the impeachment, you know, stuff like, okay, th- yeah. this is the last person in the world you would want representing you for the, this is a, you know, I have, I, I, I hold Alan Dershowitz in such low regard. It's there's, there's, there's almost nobody that I, I, I feel is, is a more of a reprehensible human being than Alan Dershowitz. And, and he's, you know, he, he knows, he knows what's up. He was, Epstein's attorney. He's on those planes. He's on the island. He knows what's going on. He's gotten massages. Nobody should believe a single word that Alan Dershowitz says. No, I agree. I I just want to make a quick public service announcement now that I just remembered it. Anybody who was looking to buy the Epstein didn't kill himself ugly Christmas sweaters, they are not for sale anymore. Teespring took it down. uh, And they, they, they they said that it was... Um, it was because there was a third party. I used some third party, I guess, graphic that I didn't have permission to, which is a lie because it, all it was was a graphic and text and the graphic I bought. And so, <laughs> <laughs> like, and so, they, but the thing is that I really got me was that they said, we'll make the ones that you already had orders for, but we're not making any more because of this. I'm like, if it was really a legal thing because of the third party thing, you would legally not be allowed to make any of them. And so I was, Ooh, I was just like, edition, I yeah, <laughs> I mean, so anybody who ordered it, you'll get it. But anybody who was going to order it, you're out of luck. And guess what? So am I, because I didn't order mine yet either. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. Now I'm going to back to the drawer. Now I have to get my get a Popeye's, uh, uh, ugly Christmas sweater. Yeah. Did you see those? Those sold out, I guess. Oh, pretty man. Quick. I, I've said, there's been so many good ones this year, but, um, so mentioning about the, the Epstein stuff with, um, the impeachment stuff. One thing I'll bring up real quick is that, uh, August 10th, Epstein kills himself. So you have the, the, wow, Epstein killed himself today. Tomorrow we wait and see how the, the news and world reacts to it. Oh crap. It's a shit storm. So August 12th, Hey, whistleblower file some complaints. And that's when the whistleblower filed complaints, August 12th. And it's just like, 
is that a coincidence or is it organized or is it a little bit of both? I don't know, but I, I just found that very, uh, th- those two dates standing out in my mind. Yeah. Well, there's all, they always, um, there's always something that pops up to change the news cycle when there's an event that is, that paints a certain group of people or a certain, you know, uh, w- one party over the other party in a, in a really bad light. Then you, next thing you know, you see it, there's a school shooting or something to distract from, um, from, from the current news that's, that's bothering them. But, and sometimes those things are organic and sometimes they're not, sometimes they're, they're totally manipulated to do that. But they, cause they know, they understand the, the people in positions of power, whether they, they be in the government or, you know, high ranking business people, or, you know, they, they understand the role that the media plays and they know that, uh, that you can put something into that news cycle and use it to further your agenda, or you can get caught up in that news cycle and then you need to change the topic as, as quickly as you can. So it goes both ways. They, they, they use the media. It, in my opinion, of the eight tentacles that I went into, I think that the media is the most oh, – I think that the banking is the most dangerous and I think the media is, is second on that list just because they can, you know, they can, they can start wars. You know, I know oh, that yeah. uh, the military is w- another one of the tentacles, but I put that beneath the the media because the media has the ability to convince people that not just should we go to war, but, you know, we got to do it now. You know, we can't wait any longer. And and, and I always found that to be um, very troubling. And, of course, the media has played a huge role in this Epstein situation as as, as evidenced by Amy Robach yeah, talking it, about how they spiked the story. Well, like, like you just said and stuff, I mean, media starting wars, they almost did that. So ABC with the Amy Robach, but what was it, just like a, a couple of weeks before that and stuff, they put out fake video of, yep. of the bombings that actually – gun range yeah and so it's like that literally is something that was if it wasn't exposed to be fake and fraudulent and a hoax really could have you know been played a role in decision making as to starting a war with somebody and so like you're absolutely right and uh I don't, before we get too far carried away with just you and I talking, because <laughs> I, yeah, I just feel like we I could. Very yeah, easily. absolutely. Uh, I, I want to just kind of reel it back and stuff. And I have a feeling, uh, Charlie, that you're going to be somebody I'll be bringing back on the show throughout the show's existence, because I, so. I think it's just, yeah. just you're a wealth of information. You're easy to talk to. Oh, uh, thank you. Thank you. So Epstein. How, let me just ask you this basic question and you can kind of run with it as far as you you want to or whatever. How did this guy go from being a private school teacher to being the guy that he was the day he died? Uh, That there were certain things that you could say were coincidence that fell into place for him to have this, for this to happen. But then uh, you could also say maybe from the very beginning, he was at least groomed to be this guy that we knew him to be. Yeah, I think he was groomed. I think that he showed a propensity towards psych, you know, to, towards being a empathy deficient psychopath. Uh, he's obviously, you know, has a sexual addiction uh, that's been evidenced over the years. I think so. He he got this job at the Dalton School. And by all accounts, he was totally unqualified for that. He's been unqualified for every job, to be honest. So, so he did that for a while. He wound up making, uh, becoming friends with uh, the Greenbergs, who own, run AIG. Through that, he wound up in the banking world. Um, and after a while of being in banking, you know, people talk about like, oh, well, we don't know where he got his money. You know, he he obviously got his money from somewhere. Well. It, he might have gotten his money from Les Wexner. He might have gotten his money from the Mossad. 
and he might have gotten it from both places, but he also made a lot of money through a Ponzi scheme with Steve Hoff, Stephen Hoffenberg. This is a guy that he worked with at Bear Stearns. And Stephen Hoffenberg went to prison for 20 years for this Ponzi scheme, which stole hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. His right-hand man, the person that was with him from the beginning of this scam to the very end and miraculously escaped any sort of prosecution, was Jeffrey Epstein. And when you – and Stephen Hoffenberg will say, you know, Epstein kind of played the role of I didn't know what he was up to. I didn't didn't know. I I had no idea that this was happening. Hoffenberg says that's a total fabrication. That's totally uh, untrue. He knew exactly what we were doing. Not only that, he's got a bunch of the money. So, so it's possible that he was fund, he was self-funded as well because from this Ponzi scheme, which stole, I don't know, I forget the exact figures. It was for over $400 million. I think I want to say it was like 500 million, but it's a lot of money at the type of, and we're talking in the mid eighties that this happened. Stephen Hoffenberg found it, wound up getting busted for it and doing time. And he's out now, you know, after two decades in prison and he's saying this, this guy, Epstein knew it all. He knew it all. He knew as much as I knew and I was running the thing. So, so you've got that connection. You've got a connection to Les Wexner, the billionaire owner of limited brands, limited, um, express, uh, Victoria's secrets, uh, bath and body works, things like that. So this is, this is a guy who you go, Oh, well, he's just this sweet old, you know, maybe it's just this old man who's in the underwear business and got mixed up with this guy. No, no, that's not true. Les Wexner is a member of the mega group. The mega group is, was formed by Edgar Bronfman senior and Les Wexner. They started this as a organization for Jewish billionaires. Now that's not me saying it's a Jewish thing. That's them saying it's a Jewish thing. Guys, lots of, lots of, you know, wealthy, extremely wealthy uh, people involved in the mega group, including guys like Steven Spielberg and, you know, uh, lots of, lots of investment banking guys, Max Lender, the guy who started Lender's Bagels. So you have a couple of sort of priorities there. You got to be extremely wealthy and you got to be Jewish with an emphasis on using your money to further things that benefit Israel, um, it specifically or in Jews as well. So this is what, you know, this is part of what the mega group was. Now, when you look at Les Wexner, his protege is Jeffrey Epstein, who's running a sexual blackmail entrapment ring. Then you've got Edgar Bronfman Sr. And you've got his daughter, Claire Bronf or his niece, Claire Bronfman, who it was running Nexium, which is also a sexual blackmail entrapment ring. Uh, it, she's sitting in a prison cell, uh, Keith with Keith Raniere, maybe not together, but they're both in prison for this. And so, what you've got is the two guys that started the mega group also happened to be running child sex trafficking rings at the same time. What a coincidence, right? Maybe this mega group is up to no good. You know, maybe maybe there's maybe maybe what they're doing is they're they're trying to benefit their Israel or slash the Jewish people. They're they're operating on the assumption that the ends justify the means, right? Whatever it takes to make things, you know, to help our people out, we're willing to do it. So, you know, people are speculating, was the Mossad involved with Jeffrey Epstein? 
Of course the Mossad was involved with Jeffrey Epstein. CIA was probably involved with them too. And so you go, well, how can you how can you be sure that the Mossad is involved with Jeffrey Epstein? Well, that's where you get into his ties to Ghislaine Maxwell. And when you look at who Ghislaine Maxwell was, she was started off as Jeffrey Epstein's girlfriend, but they were, you know, they were best friends and they also liked, you know, they all liked dirt, you know, they liked young girls. And so they were pulling girls into their little, into their romantic life. And, and that, then they, then Maxwell was in charge of sort of, you know, getting the girls for him, you know, sort of grooming them to serve, you know, service Jeffrey and things like that. And so you go, well, who's this Ghislaine Maxwell? What is what's her deal? You know, she's British. She is a socialite. She her dad was Robert Maxwell, who owned the Mirror Group. And he was a Czechoslovakian Jew. They used to call him the bouncing Czech because he was Czech. And also he was notoriously bad about paying people that he owed. He looted the pension fund and stole hundreds of millions of dollars from the mirrors pension fund, which is the pension fund for their employees. So he stole all their money. Uh, he worked for the Mossad himself. There's a, there's a book written called Robert Maxwell, Israeli super spy. You know, so I mean, they're not even trying to hide the fact that, that he was, he was, uh, knee deep in with the Mossad. He miraculously was, you know, was found floating next to his yacht, the Lady Ghislaine off the Canary Islands back in 1991. And all, all accounts point to the fact that he was poisoned and thrown off the boat by the Mossad for double crossing them. You know, he had, he had sort of leveraged and he'd gone to them and said, I need hundreds of millions of dollars or else this information gets out. And next thing you know, he's dead. So, so the ties to Epstein and the Mossad are pretty deep. They come through the, uh, the Maxwell family maybe even earlier than that. So, um, so, you know, we've, we've got, we've got a guy that's, that's running in, you know, he's got a, Les Wexner gives him his $70 million New York penthouse that is, that had already been wired with video surveillance equipment. That's normal, you know? So, so everything points to this guy being, you know, not a, not a, hedge fund manager like he's like he says he is but uh somebody that's running a sexual blackmail operation ring how the heck does one person go from this school teacher to being like this master briber like so when it comes to like this bribing process i mean do you have any idea as to how he went about uh getting access to these people i mean like like i'm a truck driver by trade right now I can't imagine a day where I'm going to have access to Donald Trump to have the option to bribe him, blackmail him. Like, how does that even happen? Well, that's how that's where Ghislaine Maxwell comes into it, because she's a British socialite, um, you know, known known as Robert Maxwell's daughter. Grew up in London, had access to all of these people. You'll see pictures of her attending Chelsea Clinton's wedding. You'll see her, um, you know, with Prince Andrew. Obviously, they have a very tight relationship, and um, so they, so she had. She had what Epstein needed. She had the social circle. She had the ability to bring him into the uh, into that that high class world. Well, I don't know class 
high class might not be the right word word because I don't find these people to have any class, but, but you know what I mean? The, 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 the upper echelon society. So you've got British royalty, uh, par, you know, parliament, people from parliament that were close with the Maxwells. You have his ties to media, which includes Rupert Murdoch and people like that. Uh, you have his ties to Israel and the sort of, uh, the billionaire class that come out of Israel and their ties and their, you know, the Israeli ties are, are super deep. So, the, the, the way that he made this work, because he was by, you know, in all accounts, just a big dummy from Brooklyn who grew up and, and, and wound up dropping out of college and, you know, had by, by all accounts had nothing going for him. A lot of people have described him as being kind of on the dumb side as well. Not, not, uh, you know, somebody who's into all this science, but then he would sit down and have these conversations with the scientists and the scientists in two seconds would realize this guy knows nothing. So he, he's kind of a dope in that sense, but he's, um, he, he was, he was, uh, you know, uh, like psychopathic in his need for, sex with young girls and that in most society you would see that as a flaw right that would be the one you'd go okay that's the guy i don't want to hire yeah but when you're dealing with these with the intelligence world or you're dealing with um government you know uh, politicians and things like that what they are looking for what the people that are that fund these politicians are looking for is the worst in a person not the best you know normally we would we would see oh like that guy's uh, dennis hastert let's say oh he's a notorious pedophile well he's got to be out of the running right we can't have him and that no 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 they it's the exact opposite you got to have some guy who is the pedophile or who is a, a closeted homosexual or who is a degenerate alcoholic and gambler or whatever that's the guy you actually want in office if you're these controllers above the politicians because they're they've got built-in flaws in them that you can exploit you they've got you they're compromised they're deficient human beings to begin with you know that they are and therefore you can you can ask them to do what you want them to do and they'll probably do it but if they go against you then you've got the blackmail card on them and you tell them what to do so this is why um people sort of scratch their heads and they go why are these people why are these politicians such screw ups it seems like we 300 million people in this country and we can't find a politician that isn't hiking the appalachian trail with his girlfriend or you know doing this or that or finding getting money from ed buck or you know we can't find better people than that? The answer is they're not looking for better people than that. This is exactly who they want. This is done by design. They want the most corrupt, compromised people you can possibly get to be in positions of power so that the people above them that choose to remain in the shadows can manipulate them and get them to do what they want. And pedophilia is the best way to do that because there's no expiration date on that. You know, you can be a married man who's cheating on his wife and these scumbags have that info on you and they can maybe make you do something. But, you know, at the end, you'll just get a divorce. Or you could be a closeted homosexual and they, you know, like Lindsey Graham or someone, and they and they sort of manipulate that you that way. But at this age, you know, in this era, like, okay, fine. You come out and you say, look, I'm gay. Who cares? Nobody really – it's not even that big of exactly. a deal anymore. But yep. if you're a pedophile and they've got the goods on you for that, they've got you forever. And you are in, you are in their grip for, for as long as they need you to be. So I think it's important for people – 
that that are looking like when you look back at some of these head scratching decisions that have been made by politicians if you look back with through the lens now of hey i wonder if that guy was being blackmailed then a lot of these decisions start to make more sense as an example and i mentioned this on sean's show in the UK, back in the 70s, uh, you had a guy named Ted Heath who was prime minister, and he was working on the framework of what was going to become the EU. And uh, it was, I think it was the EEC. And part of what they had to do is they were trying to, when you're combining all these countries together, you're trying to divide, figure out how you divide up the pie. And part of one of the big assets that British had was their fishing industry. And their fishing industry accounts for like if you combine with all the countries of the eu their their fishing industry was going to represent about 77 percent of 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 the fishing industry it was going to come from the uk and during the negotiations for this it wound up that the british or that the uk decided that they would take you know their cut of that would only be about 22 percent so they gave up about 50 percent of the fishing rights to this this EEC, which would later become the e, the EU, and the people in the UK were scratching their heads, going, "What? Why would we ever do this? Wh- whose I- whose dumb idea is this?" And the answer is that Ted Heath was a notorious pedophile who was being blackmailed by the German secret secret you know uh, intelligence agencies, and the reason why that deal was so bad was because they had the goods on him. And so when you go back and you look at that, you know, the people in the UK go, oh, I get it. Now, now I understand why we, we signed such a bad deal. But we can, we can use that same uh, way of looking at things to go back and examine some of the decisions that have been made in our own government. You go, why would we do that? Why, who's, who in the world would come up with this idea? Who would agree to this? Well, a bunch of people that are being told they have to agree to it. You know, so, so Epstein played a role in this as well. And his job was to go out and get as many powerful people in compromising situations. And the fact that you're Bill Clinton and these guys, they, you know, you're supposed to be a smart guy. You're supposed to be a Rhodes Scholar. You're, and you, you didn't. Bill Clinton didn't just fall off a turnip truck. He knows what's up. He knows. He knows how this game works. And he still walked into that trap. I mean, talk about getting corruptible people—people people that have no soul, that have no, no, you know, goodness inside of them. Um, someone like Bill Clinton. Couldn't help himself. He walked right into the trap, probably willingly. Oh well, who cares? You know, they got the goods on me. And so, you know, you start to dig back into the Monica Lewinsky stuff is starting to come up again. Like, well, you know, because we've got the Trump impeachment. You go, well, well, let's go back to the Monica Lewinsky impeachment. Well, how did we find out about that? Well, we found out about that because the Mossad had the White House bugged. That's how we found out about that. And who was the connection to Bill Clinton back then? It was Jeffrey Epstein. So, so th- this is what, this is what everybody, I'm not trying to say that the Mossad is the only one doing this. Wow. Of course, the CIA and MI6 and, 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 you know, Russia, Russia did this, they call it compromat. You know, this is, this is the Mossad didn't invent it. The CIA didn't invent it. This has been going on for a long, long time, but you realize that like, if you get the goods on, if you, if you get the goods on Bill Clinton while he's the president and you get him in a, in a, 
you get information on him that would destroy his presidency and you're the one that got it. You've, you've got the information and you let him know that you've got it. If you think about it, then you become president because you control him fully. And, and if it's pedophilia stuff, I mean, you, you can make him do whatever you need him to do. Do you want Do you need Obama to deliver pallets and pallets of cash to a foreign country with no questions asked? Um, well, just tell him he's got to do it or else. And next thing you know, you know, money is flowing to Iran, money is flowing to Afghanistan, money is disappearing off of the back of trucks and things like that. And you go, how is this happening? Who, why isn't somebody stopping this? And the answer is because the people that are in positions of power make it happen through their controllable, their controlled politicians. And these things, they're head scratchers for the rest of us. We're going, why would you do that? Why would you do that? There's an, there's a very logical explanation for it all. It's not like they just woke up and decided to do something stupid they're being forced to do it so so uh and and dr dave janda who talked about this he was a he was a member of the house of representatives for a, a period of time back in the 80s he talked about a, a story about how somebody pulled him aside and said don't go to the parties but if you do go to the parties don't stay for the after parties because that's where all the bad stuff goes Jeez. down they'll get you on video <laughs> wow <laughs> so, so welcome to dirty washington dc wow. where you know, things are happening <laughs> oh <my> and <laughs> You know, oh my God, that kills me. <laughs> you know, like, all right, so uh, Bill Clinton just can't keep his hands off. You know what? It looks good to him. I, 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 I get it. I totally get it. Every time I walk into the gas station, I gotta get two packs of Skittles. I love Skittles. I gotta taste them. You know, <laughs> like I understand, <laughs> Bill. I understand. <laughs> but if somebody cut off your Skittle supply and they were like, you know, I got a bucket I'm of them here for you. I can give you a buck. I can give you as many as you need. I just need you to do this for me. You're like, yes. you know. I mean, at some point, you would go. There would be a line you wouldn't want to cross but if you're bill clinton you know you crossed every line and that's Who the thing cares? i mean like if if you get dirt on him and you say and you show it to me say hey i got this on you from now on i call the shots you just shrug your shoulders and say all right now i got a green light to do what i want to do because now they have the dirt on you there's now you have a, a supplier you know yeah and it's just like well, what why you know and so people are like well well why would bill clinton go to epstein's island um, and, and, and put himself in a position where they could get the dirt on him. And the answer is because they already had the dirt on him. What difference does it make at that point? Might as well get some young chicks out of it. You know, that's Bill Clinton's thinking is like, screw it. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to, I mean, you're going to come after me for, for being on video with young girls. Okay. That's fine. But you could also, you, you, you could get Bill Clinton for his r drug running through Mena, Arkansas, the CIA and George H.W. Bush, you could get him for the, the, all the suicides and murders that the Clintons have ordered. You could get him for looting the, you know, looting the, the Arkansas investment authority, uh, fund that Larry Nichols set up for him. You could, you, I mean, take your Monica Lewinsky, take your pick. I mean, Bill Clinton has done so many things wrong that what's another scandal with Jeffrey Epstein? You know what I mean? Like who cares it, it, to him? Who cares? He's out of office. You know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Ruin, ruin Bill Clinton's reputation. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean go, go for it. He doesn't, he, he's got a bad reputation already. I mean, the problem is that where, where, where this gets a little murky is that, you know, people have said that, um, you know, that Epstein wasn't running 
a hedge fund because nobody ever saw him trading. You know, his trades didn't come across the trading desks in in on Wall Street like in in the same way that Bernie Madoff wasn't making any trades. And these and the people that work in those circles were going, you know. We we wondered about Madoff because we never made any trades with him. So nobody ever did any deals with him. So we always kind of wondered about him. And same thing when they talk about, well, what about Epstein with his hedge fund? Was he – and they go, you know, we never did it. Nobody ever did any trades with him either. So he wasn't running a hedge fund. Well, maybe he, maybe he had a different version of a hedge fund, which is – I get you down to the island. You're the let's say you're the CEO of Exxon Mobil, right? And uh, I have you come down to the island. It's going to be a good time. There's a bunch of you know powerful people here. I'm going to have a presentation by some really important scientists that'll be kind of interesting for you to hear. And by the way, you know there's just a bunch of girls around. And so you get this guy on video uh, screwing around with a. 15-year-old girl, let's say, you've got the goods on him. Now, you can do a couple of things with that. Yes, he's not a politician, so maybe you can't get him to vote your way in a UN resolution like the way you could with somebody else, but but you've got a different plan for this guy. Maybe you say to him, okay, look, we there's a video of you with this girl, and it will remain uh, hidden, uh, out of sight, as long as you give me the information I, I want to know wh- what sort of acquisitions ExxonMobil has coming up in the next year. Oh, you're going to buy this oil company. You're going to buy this little one. You're going to buy. You're going to do. You're going to buy some obscure uh, oil company. Oil company in Kazakhstan. Great. Okay, I need that information. I'll buy up as many shares as I can in advance of that, and then boom, you're going to make the announcement that you're buying this company, and I've made forty, fifty million dollars on that. You know, that, so you could you could blackmail these guys to give you information to inside trade on. You could also do something along the lines of. You know, look, I'm not going to take all your money, but I'm going to manage your money. You're going to put a, you're, you're going to give me a billion dollars. You've got some billionaire on, you've got Ron Burkle, let's say, uh, from Ukaipa, the super supermarket magnet who's a legendary scumbag in his own right. You've got him on, on camera doing something he shouldn't do, but, and he's got, you know, $10 billion. You say, well, listen, put a billion dollars into my hedge fund. I'm going to manage it for you. I'm going to take my typical, uh, uh, 2% management fee plus 20% of the profits every year. And he just sticks his money in a mutual fund. He sticks a billion dollars in a mutual fund and makes, you know, 20 million on uh, per year plus a percentage of the profits. So he could be running his own dirty, weird version of a hedge fund that would not require him to interact with people on Wall Street. In fact, he wouldn't be telling anybody what he was doing. He would just quietly be managing the money of people that he's ensnared in his spider web. So so there there's a there are a variety of ways that this guy could have been making money. Could be working, you know, could be that the politics aspects, that politicians he does that on behalf of the intelligence agencies. He gets them entrapped. But the CEOs, that could be just for his own his own financial benefit as well. All right. Now, let's talk about a TV show that I have been recently informed that is in existence, and I actually really like it a lot. Uh, the TV show is called Evil. 
Evil is available on all CBS platforms. It's available on CBS All Access, CBS.com, and on demand for the perfect binge fest. Evil is a mystery with clues in every episode leading up to the chilling season finale. There are jump-out-of-your-seat scares with stories of miracles, demonic possessions, hauntings, and more. This show is about a forensic psychologist who is hired by a priest in training, and together they investigate the Catholic Church's backlog of unexplained mysteries. The more they discover, the more dangerous life gets for them. Go ahead and check it out on CBS. All platforms for CBS, go check it out. The TV show is called Evil. Check it out now and binge it. I find this interesting that, you know, there is that avenue of how he could operate because uh, I I know that you have um, not only politicians and, you know, leaders of different organizations that were involved with him, but you also have people like... um, uh, shoot, I forget his name, but you have different people from Hollywood that were, you know, involved with Jeffrey Epstein. And yeah. I, it just makes you realize how deep to, you know, kind of steal the imagery from your book and stuff, the tentacles go. Like they, yeah. they really reach into all these different aspects of, of our lives. And it's for what? For something that's purely evil at root. I mean, I, I, I think that it, it, for me and being who I am, I look at things maybe a little bit different than some people, but uh, I believe that this, uh, yes, child sex slavery is evil, it's wrong, but I think it's even deeper than that. I think it, at its very core, it has a satanic element to it. Uh, yes. Oh, you agree with me? That's great. I do. I do. <laughs> I do. I do agree with you. There is a um, part... When when Donald Trump was elected president, Newt Gingrich made a comment that I found fascinating, and I don't typically find anything Newt Gingrich says to be fascinating. <laughs> but this, this was this was one I made an exception for this because he said he said Donald Trump's going to have a real problem in in Washington, and the, and the interviewer said, "Well, why is that?" And he says, "Well, because he's not one of them. He's not he's not in the he's not in the group. He's not a member of the secret societies." Yes, is what he said, and. I know that a lot of people will roll their eyes at the secret society aspect of this, but it is very real. It is very much a part of it. It is a satan. I'm so I know that I know that you're Christian. I know that you're you're that that's part of who you are. That's that's kind of your upbringing. For me, I wasn't I wasn't raised religious. I I'm you know I'm like kind of got that that old spiel where it's like spiritual, but not religious, you know, but I like, I, I like doing mushrooms and I like explain, I like that, the, you know, the universe is a fascinating sure. place. I don't know all the answers. I think, you know, uh, I'm open to a lot of different interpretations of what's going on, what happens when we die and all these things, you know, but so I'm not, I don't, I don't come at this as somebody that is tied to one religion or the other. So when I say that these people are satanic, I mean it literally. They 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 are part of the Luciferian satanic uh, group of people that are running this world. It's very real to them, it, and a lot of us can be dismissive and go, "Oh, that's crazy," or or whatever. Well, listen, it it 
you know, the, oh, they're doing rituals and they're Moloch and they've got Bohemian Grove and they're doing all, you know, all that stuff. Oh, those guys, you know, give me a break. Well, listen, it matters to them. It's important to them. Yes. It's a part of what they believe, whether we believe it, whether I believe it or not, whether, you know, that is irrelevant because to them it's real. And they are getting their powers from this. You talk, you know, now we're starting to get into these, this really dark stuff where you're talking about, you know, what were they doing with the kids? And then you've got adrenochrome and then you've got sacrifices and people tend to get a little, you know, if you go down that path too much with them, people can kind of get a little dismissive of it, but it's like, well, let me remind you what the Mayans were doing, (laughs) right? There's a, this is, these people didn't invite, invent child sacrifices and things like that. Like this is something that we We've learned in our history books, there is, there is a, a sliver of society that believes that this is the way that you consolidate power, that you get power from something beyond. Now you can, you know, some people talk about, you know, it's this good versus evil. It's the, it's God versus the devil. It's what uh, these people are into some very, very dark things. And when you talked about Hollywood, there's a connection there because Hollywood is real deep into that it's one of the biggest secrets you know out there Corey feldman to his credit yeah. you say what you want about him you know he almost spilled the beans on it you know he kind of came out and said you know that pedophilia is part of this and, and it's not pedophilia on its own necessarily it's pedophilia in conjunction with their religion and they're tied together the Vatican has some big problems. They've got problems with the ninth circle and child sacrificial satanic cults and where everything gets inverted and the people that you think are the good guys are actually the bad guys and all this madness. And Epstein and these people, it, they had ties to a lot of people that are Luciferians. It's a fact. It's not even debatable. There's there's a there's a common denominator there and it's very it's very dark you know and i understand if people are, are don't want to go down this path and think about it because you know to to think about some of these things is to think about some of the worst some of the worst aspects of of humanity uh, but we kind of you know we maybe not dwell on it but we do have to acknowledge it to to an extent so that we're aware of what's happening it doesn't do us any good to bent, to bury our head in the sand and pretend like it's not there i mean I, I like i said i don't i don't think people need to to dwell on it and just get super focused on it but we do need to acknowledge that that is one of the components of this whole thing it is it is sexual blackmail it is sex sex with children it is trafficking children it is organ harvesting children and adults and it is ritual sacrifice and that is tough for a lot of people to wrap their heads around because you just don't want to even think about that sort of stuff especially tied to people that you respect or you recognize on your television but it's it's real and it's part of it and you mentioned that you you had conversation with Larry Johnson and I'm sure Larry Johnson could tell you that um that, that this is this is not in in his imagination <laughs> it's not in it's not just in his head it's not just speculation and rumors there's there there's truth to this and it's it's hidden cuz it cuz you would hide it you know, obviously, if you were into this, you would have the incentive to to keep this buried. But when they get together, 
it's that George Carlin line, right? It's a big club and you ain't in it. Ain't and in it. this is what Newt Gingrich was talking about. Yeah. And, you know, uh, just for everybody to know, I am going to be coming out with the Larry Johnson interview. Thanks a lot, Charlie. You spoiled it. Sorry. <laughs> so sorry. It's fine. We were talking about it. We were talking about it off air, Charlie. Off air. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> it's fine. In it. No, it's fine. Uh, yeah. But we do have an interview coming up with Charlie or not Charlie. We're doing Charlie now. Larry Johnson, uh, the first Tuesday of January, we'll be releasing that. So you guys can look forward to that. Uh, and like I said, on the tinfoil hat show this past week um it doesn't matter like i understand that this is hard for some people to believe you know especially that the satanic element of it and stuff and how deep that goes and some people hear me say things or they'll hear you say something and they're like no way i don't believe that and that's fine you don't have to believe it the the, the thing that you have to understand is it literally doesn't matter what you believe they don't mm-hmm. care i don't care i really don't care what anybody believes i know what i believe but it, they don't care what you believe. They know what they believe and they're pursuing things within their own belief system. So if you don't believe it, great. That's actually good for them. But the yeah, fact you're is, the disadvantage. If you sure. if you think that if you think that this this is just a bunch of conspiracy theorists just making this up, and you know, I understand it sounds dark. I I, I understand it sounds crazy. If you don't think that this stuff sounds crazy, then that's crazy because because it, it is it's. It's the darkest, you know, as, as people with, uh, you know, people, you know, we're, we're normal people. We're good people. We don't want, we want the best for, for, for everyone. We're not out to hurt people. So for us, for our brains to try and wrap their, you know, wrap around this way of thinking, it's very difficult. We're at a disadvantage and that is. Um, how they would prefer it, you know, that this stuff is all, oh, you guys are out there think, you know, you're talking about this stuff. This is crazy. You've been watching too many movies or this, you've been reading too many science fiction books or something like that. They would prefer that, 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 that that's how we, we think about this stuff, but it, it, it's difficult. It's difficult for good people like us to even ima- to imagine doing something like that to a child you know, or to someone, to somebody else, somebody that, you, you know, is your political rival to, to, to have them blow up in a plane crash. These guys don't think that they, they're not. The thing about psychopathic people is that there's no governor on their brain. There's no, there's no threshold where they go, uh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this, or maybe this is going to hurt somebody else. When you remove that empathy, that, that component to somebody's personality that has empathy where you're the ability to feel other people's pain or to put yourself in their shoes. When you take that away from, from somebody, it frees you up to commit unspeakable things because you, you cannot and do not care what other people think. And so to me, that would make my life not worth living. You know, if I, if I would, didn't have the ability, if I didn't have empathy, it would make my life hollow and worthless and, and pointless. But to them, that's just the way they are. That's how they grew up. If this is a statistical, you know, you've got statistics showing that the percentage of psychopaths operating in, in, um, public, it's, you know, 
three, four percent from some of the numbers I've read. That turns out to be millions and millions of people just in the United States. Take that number and expand it to to the planet. So just because you're not crazy, a crazy person, an evil person, doesn't mean that other people aren't. And we wind up in a putting ourselves in a disadvantage when we make the assumption that just because we're good people, everyone else are good people. That is that is dangerous. It would be nice. It'd be nice if everybody was. And most people are, but not everybody. And those for those psychopathic people, when you come across them, when you meet them, have you ever met somebody that you're just like, whoa, I get a really I can't put my finger on it, but I get a bad vibe from that guy, you know. That's part of this. There there are people out there that are monsters. And we have to remember that. Not we don't have to we don't have to fear that. I mean, we don't have to to operate from a sense of fear, but we do have to acknowledge. We have to watch them. You know, you have to be careful about that and and who you associate with. And those people that 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 are psychopathic and lack empathy, they tend to find that they tend to gravitate towards positions of power as well, because part of what makes them tick is wanting to control other people. And so. You know, you you go, God, you know, maybe from a statistical standpoint, let's say that the number is 3% of the population are psychopaths. Well, you get to Washington, D.C., and you realize that it's like 90%. And you're like, well, that's really weird. Well, it's not that weird if you think about it, because if you're a psychopath, you're going to find yourself gravitating to towards a, a position where you can control other people. If you're a pedophile, you're going to be um, – you're going to be looking for, uh, looking to go where the hunting's good. And people will say like, well, it's really weird that all these Boy Scout troop leaders turn out to be pedophiles. It's like, well, it's not the job <laughs> of being a Boy Scout troop leader that turns somebody into a pedophile. It's that pedophiles go where the hunting's good. They're attracted and to you it. Would, you would go to become the head of a Boy Scout troop. You know, you, you would do that. So, or you'd be this little league coach or you'd find your, you'd be the wrestling coach, like, uh, you know, like, uh, um, Dennis Hastert was for 40 years raping his wrestling kids. You know, you, 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 it's not the job that makes you a pedophile. It's that the pedophiles look for the jobs that put them in a position to have access to kids and things like that. So just like so Sandusky. You know, Sandusky at Penn right, State. Exactly. I mean, he he created an environment around himself that was conducive to him being around small little children for a long time. And then, you know, obviously that got the whole roof blown off. Uh, I'd be remiss, Charlie, if I didn't bring up Prince Andrew in this oh, whole yes. thing. I mean, he's such a big piece. And that's what I mean when I said it earlier, we're going to have to have you back on at, throughout the show's existence because there's just so much information we could talk about. But uh, Prince Andrew, he is clearly guilty of being involved <laughs> with Epstein on on so many different levels and uh it, it just shows like you have all these before this whole thing happened people you know always speculated and said that the royals are inbred lizard people that they are evil this that and the other and then this drops and it's like well it doesn't do anything for your case <laughs> i'll tell you that much <laughs> yeah well if, if people are saying if they think that this is a one-off case with prince andrew um the royal family itself I mean, that's a whole different show we could get into. But if you just go back a, a, a couple decades, you'll find that the royal family had a guy named Jimmy Savile very closely involved with them. Jimmy Savile was like for us in America, it'd be like the equivalent of Dick Clark. 
uh, somebody that was, he did, had a show called top of the pops in the UK. He was on BBC one. He had radio shows. He was a DJ. He was, uh, he had a show called Jim will fix it where he went around and made wish, you know, kids would send in letters saying, you know, Jim, I'm, I'm really in a bad spot. I don't have any, you know, I don't have clothes or I don't have any shoes. My family's so poor and blah, blah, blah. And Jim would show up and he would fix this problem for them. Right. And he, he was a notorious pedophile, 40 years plus they had busted. They had been on to him for a long, long time. Who was his closest ally? Royal family. He was brought when Prince Charles and Princess Diana were having marital problems. The person brought in to facilitate this was Jimmy Savile. So when when people were talking about Prince Andrew's relationship to Jeffrey Epstein and the Queen is saying, well, you know, you, you shouldn't you shouldn't have had that re- association with spare us. Just just stop right there because the royal family has been surrounded by pedophiles for as long as I can remember. As long as as long as Lord Mountbatten was a notorious pedophile, he was it, it, Prince Charles' uncle. Uh, the, it's what they do. They are part of this. So for Prince Andrew to have to be friends with a child trafficking uh, pedophile like Jeffrey Epstein. Might be surprising to some people that don't know the history of the royals, but for the people that have been that know about who they are, what they've done, uh, who they have associated with for decades and decades, this is just one in a string of pedophiles that they have let into their inner circle. And the reason is that they are maniacs <laughs> you know the, yeah. the royal families are the oh well they're the british royal family they're germans they're literally germans their their bloodline is german prince philip who's married to the queen was a nazi there's pictures of him walking through the streets in his nazi uniform you know why prince harry wanted to dress up like a nazi and everyone blew everyone freaked out about that yeah you probably shouldn't do it but it's not like he's getting too far off the reservation his grandfather is was a nazi <laughs> this is who they, they were the Bowers. You know, this is this is the the, the this is the Saxe Coburn Gotha bloodline and the and so you you look at, at Prince Philip or Prince Andrew or I should say and and everyone's scratching their heads going what a dope this guy is. He's a terrible liar. He's clearly involved in this and Randy Andy and all these things that they're and they're they're kind of letting him off the hook a little bit like, hey, you shouldn't have been fooling around with this 17-year-old girl. Well, look, it goes deeper than that. They're, the, that family has been tied to pedophilia for decades and decades. And my guess is that it will continue beyond that because they are part of the Luciferian uh, underworld that runs this world. And, uh, you know, they're knee deep in it. All right. So – we have a satanic pedophile elitist running our world. And I want to just run through some numbers real quick to you to kind of make a point here. Uh, Australia, 20,000 children were reported missing every year. Canada, 45,000 missing every year. Germany, 100,000 children reported missing every year. India, 96,000 children reporting missing every year. Jamaica, 1,900 reported in 2015. Russia, 45,000 reported in 2015. Spain, 
20,000 children reported missing every year. In the United Kingdom, 112,000 reported missing every year. In the United States, 460,000 children are reported missing every year. That's a lot of children globally in just these countries that are going missing every year. What are the what do you think are the odds that uh, a good chunk of the missing children in these lists are from child sex trafficking? Oh, high, very high. I mean, the we talked about sort of inverting, you know, what, you know, the truth is, is lies and lies are the truth. What you get, these, uh, the care home, like in the United Kingdom, the care homes, the places that you would, you know, orphan orphanages and places like that. That's where kids go missing out of there all the time. They're, they're, they're taken into foster homes, foster children go missing all the time. Um, you talk about, uh, not to, well, it's kind of off topic a little bit, but, but go ahead in after the hate, after the Haitian earthquake, a lady named Laura Silsby was arrested for trying to steal 33 Haitian children. Uh, she said that they were orphans and that she was taking that they were adopting them out to foreign countries. Um, the problem is that their parent, they weren't orphans. Their parents were very much alive. They've been looking for them. They finally found that she was, she was in prison in Haiti for this. She's an American by the way. And, um, it took a personal visit from Bill Clinton himself to get Laura Silsby out of jail in Haiti. Look at that. Yeah. What a surprise. And where did she go? She went back to the United States, changed her last name and got a job working for the Amber Alert System. The company that alerts people when children go missing. So, what are we doing here? You know, this is, it happens in the United States as well. You hear about foster care being just awful gladiator school for kids. You know what I mean? They, 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 child protective services. And who put the law in place that offered, that pays a $4,000 bounty for each? kid that is adopted out through child protective services bill clinton bill clinton is is so deep in if in child trafficking that it's it's hard to understand why that guy is still allowed to walk the earth he's so dirty and hillary of course is is no better but these people are all working in conjunction. The common thread that ties them all together is pedophilia. It's horrifying. But the the you know, I, I don't know about you, but I don't have any friends that are pedophiles. But the Clintons sure do. You've got John Podesta, Tony Podesta, Anthony Weiner. I mean you name it. They, they, Jeffrey Epstein. There, there's, there's certainly a whole Ed Buck. There's a lot of people tied to the Clintons that just also happen to be hardcore pedophiles, and um, that's not an accident. This is, you know, you're you're known by the company you keep, right? This is this is this is their circle of friends, and this is what they're into. And those numbers about child, the kids disappearing from these foreign countries, this is not an America-specific problem. This is a global trafficking. And, you know, one of the organizations that has been exposed as being knee deep in child trafficking worldwide is the Vatican. 
they're they're they obviously they've paid out in the United States they paid out over four billion dollars to settle uh, sexual assault charges against priests and things like that. So um, so you know that they're they're obviously up to no good, but they they're also deeply involved in the child sex trafficking uh, internationally. It's reprehensible and disgusting. And I feel like for people if you're if you're Catholic. And you're just a good person and you're just – you're going on Sunday and you go to church and you want to support your church and you want to support the people in your church and all this. And you give money every every Sunday. Like at what point do you stop and take a step back and realize, you know, this money is going to fund payouts to children that have been raped by these maniacs? Like maybe maybe we should withhold some of the money. Maybe we should not enable these, these, these people. It's a really dark – it's a, it's a dark topic, man. It's just, it's, it's something oh, that yeah. makes your soul hurt when you think about it and that there's people out there and you want to stop it and you don't know where to stop because you don't even know who, who, how to stop it or who's involved and how far up the ladder does it go? Well, the answer is it goes further than most people think. It's, it, and it goes and, to levels that you don't even know exist. Okay. It, it does. That's exact. That's a really, really good way of pu- putting it. It goes to levels that you don't even know exist. That's that's you nail it. And it's it's like you know, and I know that our audience. It's a very broad audience. So you know, we have obviously because I'm a Christian, we do attract Christian people to listen to the show. But we also have Satanists listen to the show. We have Republican, Democrat, the, the wide range. And for for people that are listening, uh, I, I would just say that. Um, one, I want to say, which I've said it before on the show and, you know, just reminding you, I don't hold any political affiliation to any one particular group. Um, on team Tony, I don't care. I think they're all, you know, dirty people. And, uh, Charlie, from hearing you talk and stuff, it sounds like you're on along those same lines. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not on, I'm not on the red team or the blue team. I'm in, I'm sitting up in the stands throwing rocks at yes. both of them. Yeah. You know? We hate the game. We hate the game, right. we're, but exactly. we're locked into the stadium. We're, we're locked in the stadium <laughs> to force to watch the game. So now we're, we're, we're making like Philadelphia Eagle fans back in the sixties and we're booing Santa and they're throwing things off. <laughs> Throwing batteries <laughs> <laughs> Those are my people. Those are my people. But uh, yeah. I, I will say this, though. I mean, because you, you brought this up about how people, I mean, it's like how many times do you have to see that, you know, the Clintons or whoever are uh, associated with pedophiles? And it's like, it, it really is like, these these are very important people in culture, society, politics. Uh, they vet people. Like I couldn't just walk up to any of these people and just hold a conversation with them. But so everybody that's in their circle is vetted. They know the details of everybody's life before that they work closely with them because of who they are. So it's not a situation where you could say, well, I mean, they know a lot of people. So chances are that if there are a lot of disgusting people in this world. Chances are they're going to ha- cross paths with those people. Yes, that's true on the odds game. But the fact of the matter is, if they're close and working with these people like they are, the Podesta, Podesta brothers, Epstein, like these are people that they work closely with, they vetted them. They know every detail about their life. They, they and they know they know that Epstein was in jail for pedophilia. They knew he was a sex offender, registered sex offender. Yet they chose to still associate with him after the first time around. That's because they don't care. No, that's because that's that that's who they are too. That this is they're not they don't look at those people as I mean they don't want you to know that they're that these are pedophiles that they're friends with. But you know. Is Hillary Clinton going to turn down uh, Harvey Weinstein's money that he bundled from a bunch of maniacs in Hollywood for her campaign? 
absolutely not. What they asked, they they even asked him, are you going to, to the Clinton Foundation, are you going to give the money back that Harvey Weinstein gave to you? Their response was, no, no, we're not. So, I mean, they don't yeah. care. And, and, to, and now as it goes, one of the things that I think that, you know, maybe just kind of a fun, fun, interesting game for people to play. Uh, and, and you see this where I see this more so than anywhere is with Hillary Clinton in particular. And that is what she does in the media. What she does is called projection. It's just classic like psychology 101 project onto your enemy that which you yourself are guilty of. So when she's screaming at the top of her lungs about Russia, 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 doing this and that, she's projecting that onto Donald Trump. And I'm not going to get in. I don't, we don't need to get into the Trump, you know, pro-Trump, anti-Trump, whatever. But I'm just saying that Hillary Clinton's husband, Bill, took half a million dollars to give a speech at, the, at a Russian bank that was on the sanctions list for the State Department. After that speech was given, Hillary Clinton, as Secretary of State, removed that bank from the sanctions list. So, you know, she's talking about how awful Russia is. Well, if they're so awful, why did the Clinton Foundation do a deal with Uranium One, in which they were paid over $140 million from the Russians? The, the answer is that the, 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 the Russia is not the problem. You understand? The Clintons are the problem. They're main, they're, <laughs> they're projecting it. They're projecting the things that they have done onto their enemy. It's, it's a, it's a, it's actually, it's a, it's a great strategy from it's a, it's Sololinsky school of, you know, rules for radicals, you know, doing things like this. Sololinsky, there's a story about, about, um, some guys going to him saying, you know, we really want to protest this, uh, some politician, some, some, political guy was going to have a, uh, a, a rally and they were, they wanted to go protest this rally. And so they asked him, you know, what's the best way, you know, we're going to go down there with our signs and everything. What's the best, what, what should we put on our signs to protest him? He goes, no, 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 don't do it that way. Don't do it that way. Go to the rally dressed as the Ku, Ku Klux Klan. And every time the guy says something you disagree with, just, just start, just start applauding, just applaud, applaud with him and tie that candidate that you hate, that you want to protest, tie him to you dressed as the KKK. And I was like, oh my God, that's genius. That's such a, that's such a smart plan. <laughs> and then you see the Charlottesville thing where the KKK is out there and everything. And I'm like, okay, well, they're just pulling this straight out of the playbook. They're not even changing it. So part of these things, this projection and these, these political dirty tricks, um, it's fascinating to watch from like just as an observer. I mean, the downside is that it affects our world. It affects us personally, you know, all these things. So you don't really want them to succeed. But if you're just objective and you're just are watching it as far as strategy and how they handle things, once again, you know, we you've got to give them credit for being clever and for thinking outside of the box and for doing things in a way that really um, – really confuses people really really gets in, in you know so when the clintons go on the attack russia hacked the election russia 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 doesn't listen man <laughs> if russia had to pick between donald trump and hillary clinton they would have picked hillary clinton because they had already been doing business with the clintons for years and years and years like this is what doesn't make sense to me when people have this argument about so I, I feel like it, like in this current media environment, which is, I mean, it's as crazy as it gets, right? 
up is down. Fact is fiction. Fiction is fact. You know, fake news. Everybody's fake news. Everybody's anti-Semitic. Everybody's racist. You know, it's just the media manipulating people to get just pushing our buttons. And boy, they do it. It works for me. I'll tell you, it gets me fired up. But <laughs> it's fascinating if we if we take a step back, like if we're like anthropologists, you know, like it, it, looking at at this society, going, hmm, I wonder how they worked. Well, how they work, the core way that our government system works is through fraud, deception, and blackmail, you know, and, li- and massive amounts of lies and using the media to smear one person or say, you know, it, it, it's fascinating to watch how, how our society has turned out. But it, it's, it's obviously devastating as well because the good people have no voice. The bad people are, you know, the inmates are running the asylum and, uh, it, and if we all are sort of scratching our heads going, it feels like it's getting crazier out there. I feel like the answer is, yeah, that's that's because it is. It's it's getting crazier. But part of the reason why I feel like it's getting crazy is because I also feel like the people that are in positions of power are desperate because their plans are getting exposed. Their, their methods are being exposed. You know, when you're able to call their shot before it happens, you're able to say they're going to do this next and then they do it. Ooh, that's very powerful. That takes their power away. When you can, when you can, when you can say, I can, I predict that this is going to happen next. And they go, well, are you psychic? And you're like, I don't need to be psychic. I know the plan. I know what plays they're running. You know, I'm the defensive coordinator that sees how they're lined up on offense. And I go, when they line up like this, they're going to do this, this, and this. Let's, def- you know, so when, when you start to see the the projection, when you start to see Hillary Clinton saying things like, you know, people are telling me, I'm having a lot of people telling me that I should get into the race. That's a signal. She's getting into the race. She's coming. You know, so it's it's wow. interesting so for us. To- you're you're going out out there and you're saying she's coming into the into the race. I'm saying that as of the recording of this on December 15th, that Hillary Clinton's coming into the race. Absolutely. All right. And I'm saying, and, and I hope she doesn't as much as I would love to see her, her lose again, because I have no respect for her. I also am respectful of the fact that they have dirty tricks that they haven't used yet. And they have strategies that they are, that they are willing to put in place that, um, um, you know, anything, anything's liable to happen. So I, on the one hand, I kind of say, Oh, let her run. You know, I want her to get beat, not because I'm a Trump fan, but just because I want her to lose for the third time in, in, in the world to remember her as being the worst possible candidate, uh, you know, run, that ever ran for president. But but I also on the, the, the flip side to that is I don't want her to run for president because I know that they are liable to do just about anything to put her in office, uh, including, you know, anything, anything, you know, we'll leave that at what it is, whether it's rigging voting machines, bribing people, assassinations. Th- there's no barrier when it comes to them. So, uh, yeah, I think she's running because I think that um, she's 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 got this opportunity where the field's weak. Uh, nobody is very enthusiastic about anybody. Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, Joe Biden. I mean, if Joe Biden is, <laughs> if Joe Biden is leading the race, then it's time. You know, then you know that Hillary is going to be coming in because that's that's a weak field. So, I don't know. I, I hope it's not. I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. But unfortunately, I'm looking at these signs and I'm going. This is what you would be doing. This is how you would be orchestrating things if you were plotting to come in. So, 
Well, we'll see how it turns out. Yeah, we'll see how it turns out. If you're wrong, we're going to bring you back on the show. We're going to throw eggs at you. No, that's <laughs> fine. I, if I'm, I hope I'm wrong. I, 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 yeah, I, I don't want these people. This, this clinton crime family and and, and i'm not in it and I, to be fair to the people out there that are going what about the trump crime crime family the trump crime family are a bunch of amateurs compared to the clintons okay they the clintons know they learned the ropes from the bushes they 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 have they have real power the trumps are like the clampants, you know, sort of like this white trashy, white trash with cash family that's got a bunch of money, but <laughs> they don't have, they don't have the, they don't have the game, they don't have the strategy like the Clintons do. The Clintons are, are scary uh, bunch of people, and their associates. I shouldn't just just say them, but you know what I mean. The Podestas and the, yeah. and and their ties to to all these people. Um, not they're they're not they're not good people. They don't want the best for the country. I'm sorry. I look. I, I I'm all for having the first female president. Just not Hillary Clinton, please. God sake. I'll tell you what. <laughs> as we wrap this down, to kind of just throw out another name, I guess. Uh, I I've said this before. I don't know if I've said it publicly. But I know I've talked to other people. That I know I've mentioned my wife several times. Uh, on the Democratic side, I would love to see Tulsi Gabbard get the nod because if the way I look at it is this. I don't want somebody like uh, on the Democrat team. I, I, like if I was cheering for Trump, I'm not going to be like, oh, I want so-and-so because I know Trump can beat that person. I want the best candidate for each party and let's see where yeah. it goes. And so since we know we got Trump, I would like Tulsi Gabbard because I think Tulsi Gabbard, if she were to win, would at least have pure motives going into this as far as I feel I the same way. I feel, I feel the same way. I understand she's a member of the council on foreign relations. That gives me pause. I do like the fact that she has been in the military because she will then understand that, um, war is horrible. We're very, you know, we're very sort of casual about it in the United States. Like, Oh, we're going to order sanctions. We're going to order no fly zones and we're going to impose sanctions and we're going to have drone strikes. And all these things are very sterile, you know, very hands off, you know, very from a distance. But for someone that's actually been in combat, I have not, I'm not, I have not, was not in the military. I've not, I've, I'm very grateful that I haven't been put in a situation where bombs are going off around me. But for somebody that has, that makes the war very real to them in a way that it can't ever be for, for somebody else. So I like, I like Tulsi for that position as well. I think that would be great. Now, could she stop all the wars without getting herself um, killed by the military industrial complex? Probably not. You know, this, this is, you know, I acknowledge that these, power systems are very difficult to dismantle. They're, they're, that's what they call the permanent state, right? The, the CIA, FBI, uh, military contract, you know, large Halliburton, Bechtel, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, places like that. They're always in power. They, the presidents, con uh, Congress comes and goes, but those people and those companies uh, and those organizations, they remain in power long after that. So I would like, I'd like to see Tulsi give it a shot. I'd like to see somebody wind down all these wars. But I do acknowledge that in order to do that, you would have to go up against some very powerful people that can either, you know, give you the silver or the lead. And uh, I, I, I'd like to think that she would have everybody's best interest in mind, but I also am realistic enough to know that once you get put in that position of president, 
It all changes. You know, it all changes. It changes. And, and you also have to take into consideration your own life, well-being, your family's sure. life, because airplanes blow up all the time. You know, you want to make sure your family's not on it. Absolutely. Well, Charlie, listen, man, I appreciate you coming on and talking with me. I know we were uh, jumping around on a lot of different topics, and it's just because there's so much information out there to cover. Uh, but hopefully uh, people are interested to hear more about what you have to say and check out your book because your book has a lot of information. Uh, before we get out of here, could you share with people just one more time where they can get your book and maybe even contact you on social media? Sure. Yeah, I'm on <laughs> I'm on Facebook and Twitter for as long as I'm on there today, you know. No guarantees I'll be on there tomorrow or a week. What are you now. saying? I keep going I keep going in <laughs> and out of uh Twitter jail and Facebook jail. You know, it's funny for posts from like 2017. Really, they sort of retroactively really? go through my stuff and find stuff and then they'll put me in a 30-day Facebook jail. That's they're giving happens. you they're giving you the Kevin Hart treatment. They're, yeah, they're, yeah, they're going back and going through everything that I've ever said. And if it's, if it happens to, you know, to be a topic that, that is a little bit too, um, you know, sensitive for them, then boom, I get slapped in, in, in just, but you can find me on Facebook and you can find me on, um, on Twitter for a while. And, uh, my website is the octopus of global com. There's links there. Like I said, people want to buy the digital version of the book, um, you know, get it, get it there. It's easier. I just, I just email it to you. Um, and if you want the paperback version, it's available at Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Awesome, man. Awesome. Yeah. I, I tell people all the time, you gotta, you know, subscribe to my newsletter, uh, sign up for my text message community, because you just never know when they decide that you said something or did something that to be kicked off a platform. And I'm here today yeah. and tomorrow Apple kicks me off of their platform. And I know last time I checked, it was like Apple gave me like 70% of the people of my listening audience. So like if Apple got rid of me, wow. then, you know, a lot of people were like, yeah. what happened to Merkel? So <laughs> Yeah, well, it's not it's it's smart of you to set up a, a, an alternative platform you know, through your website for people that want to stay in touch with you that way. Because yeah, like you said, it, it just takes one decision. I mean, you're you're not Alex Jones, but we did see what happened to Alex Jones when Twitter and Facebook just banned him all on the same day. So obviously there's coordination. The social media yeah. companies, and that's a different topic for another day, <laughs> but, they're, the, but their their association with the with the Atlantic Council and German Marshall Fund and Council on Foreign Relations and places like that, that they're they're given instructions the same way that these politicians are given instructions. This guy's got to go. This person can stay, you know. And that's a that's a slippery slope. And and for you to have the foresight to sort of plan. Uh, plan your plan your life uh it's so that it's not totally dependent on that is obviously a smart thing to do 100% and that's why i always tell people you know my website's my main hub sign up for the newsletter text message community you can be in touch with me if you want to be uh charlie thanks for being here man thanks for having me talk to you soon Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, please go ahead and share this show with your friends. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, email, mail pigeons. I don't care where you share the show, but if you enjoyed what you just heard, please share it with your friends because that is the best thing you can do to help support the show. And until next week, friends, stay safe, take care, and remember, the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. Duh. White shirt, now red, my bloody nose sleeping. 
Duh. 